I want to pray. We're just going to make some declarations, and if this is your heart, just feel free to agree with me. Father, we thank you for your goodness, and we thank you for your invitation to draw closer to you, to be free, to be the powerful men and women that you've called us to be, to be people of hope, and to be courageous. And that's possible because of the price that you paid. And we say thank you and amen. And we choose to partner with you. We choose to partner with truth. We choose to mute our phones. And Father, we, we determine and we declare that our hearts are fertile soil for your word, for the seed of your word to be planted and to bear fruit. Because we know that's where liberty is, that's where freedom is, that's where strength is, that's where power is, that's where deliverance is, is when we line ourselves up with your truth, your word. So I thank you, Father, for the environment that is here right now, that your presence is, is wonderful, and we are in a posture of, of saying yes to you. And thank you for the grace, every bit of grace, that wonderful, beautiful grace that empowers us to adapt, adopt, and walk in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, I talked about the importance of kingdom relationships and out of Ephesians 4 in that passage. Matter of fact, I'm going to go ahead and read that real quick. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, excuse me, 11 through 16. You don't have this, uh, Noah, so don't worry about trying to put this up. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So right here he says that the fivefold ministry is, is the gifts Jesus gave to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints so the saints do the work of the ministry. See, a lot of times we think that the fivefold ministry is supposed to do the ministry, but they're there to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, which means all of us are called into the ministry once we're born again. So, the fivefold, so would you say that the fivefold ministry is an important gift? Would you agree with that? And I don't want to exalt that gift higher than it needs to be, and I don't want to diminish it, but it is a very important gift to the body of Christ for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. It says they're responsible to equip, okay. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. But instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Now listen to this. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. So the first part of the passage talked about the importance of the fivefold ministry to equip the saints. And then, the, then we, as we go on, we see how all of us play an important part together. That as we, it says, I'm going to go ahead and read it again. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. Each part is you. All of us have been given gifts to minister to the body of Christ, right? We need each other. You know, I, people ask this question or they'll say, make the statement, I don't, have to be a, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And that's true. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But I firmly believe if you want to be a mature Christian, it's important to go to church. Because not just so you sit there and listen to, the, to a sermon, but so that you come for the sake of, encouraging one another because we need each other 
And so it's important for us to be in relationship. And so for a person to say, I don't need relationship to be a Christian, well, you don't need relationship, but to be a, a mature, growing, thriving, fruitful Christian, it is important for us to be in relationship. Amen? And so we are um, endeavoring to, my iPad keeps turning off. So that's why we talked about last week the importance of kingdom relationship is because we need each other. You know, I can, I can be a perfect, amazing Christian, mature, all wise, as long as I stay by myself. But as soon as I get around other people, that's when my maturity is tested. That's when we see how mature are you really. See, when you're by yourself, and I think I said this last week. I can't remember if I did or, or didn't. But I remember I'd have, I'd, I'd have quiet times, like I'd be up before the family gets up, and I'd have a great time with Jesus, and man, we're just in the third heavens and having a great time, reading his word. And then my kids started getting up, and then all of a sudden I'm yelling and screaming, and, rah, and I'm just in this bad mood and cranky, and it's like, wait a minute, what happened to that wonderful bliss I was experiencing a little while ago, and all of a sudden I'm all irritated and cranky and all that kind of thing. Well, see, the reality of where we are in Christ is measured by how we relate to people. It's not possible to love God and not like people. We may try it, but if we want to grow and if we want God's heart, because I think it's like this, the closer we get to him, the more his heart becomes our heart, which means the things that he adores, the things that he places value on, I'm going to begin to place value on. And I'm going to begin to love and be excited about. Well, you know what he places the most value on? You know what he's the most excited about? You. You are who he thinks about every day. You are who he, you're the one that he paid everything so that he can have a, re a relationship with you. So because he feels that way about you, if I fall in love with him and draw closer to him, then guess what? My affection is going to turn to you as well. You know, in a practical sense or in a natural way, Lisa and I have been married for 27 years, and when I first met her, somewhere along the lines in the conversation in our relationship, she, I found out she was passionate about horses. And those of you who know Lisa know that she's passionate about horses. Well, I could care less about horses. But the more I've, we've walked in relationship, and she didn't say, honey, you just need to start liking horses. She didn't say that. She would talk about horses. She would share her dream about horses. She would share her passion about horses, her passion about horses. So guess what? All of a sudden, I started thinking they were, they're all right. Horses are all right. And then I started liking them. Then I started liking them more. And now I really and truly enjoy horses. Not nearly as much as she does. And I begin to, my prayer, and I begin to posture ourselves so that we could have horses someday, which meant moving out of Stillwater into the country, investing in some land so someday we could have horses. That, was my, that became my passion, and now we have horses. But because of my relationship with her, I find that I begin to become passionate about the same thing she's passionate about. How much more with the Father? When we draw close to him, when we allow him to do what he wants in our lives and begin to change us and transform us, then you are going to love people. That's going to be the byproduct of your relationship with him. So if you don't love people, then you need to check out your relationship with the Father. And, and it's not in a negative way, but it can be a positive thing. It can be a, a, a measuring stick. Am I really having a hard time with people right now? then I really need to get with the Father and let him adjust some things that's going on in here. So that's what we talked about, the importance of kingdom relationship. And we talked about some practical things that we're doing. You've heard of family groups that we're developing for the purpose of giving you opportunity to intentionally build relationships. Now, you don't have to, obviously. We're not going to make you. You will do relationship. We're giving you the opportunity. We're giving you the opportunity. And, and so we talked about that. And the purpose of that is so that we can come together. We can do life together. 
We can benefit from each other's gifts, each other's wisdom, each other's experiences, and we can help each other, build each other up. So that's what we talked about last week, and I would encourage you. Now, we're a little bit behind on on the podcast, but soon we're going to have that up, and then you can listen to that, because if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you to listen to that that message. And so this week, we're going to continue along those lines. We're going to talk about building a strong relational environment. Building a strong relational environment. And the last thing, last week I said there are four things that we have to do. If we want to move forward together effectively in relationship, then there are four things we need to do. And one is we need to place the right value on each other. See, I can't look at you and place my value on you. I need to place his value on you. Because if I place my value on you, then I'm going to treat you how I feel you, you deserve to be treated. If I have low value for you, then I'm going to treat you lowly. Does that make sense? You know the example of the little doll that I used last week? If your little girl comes and says, Daddy, would you hold this for me? And you look at it, and it's a little beat-up doll that's been drugged through the mud, and it smells, and one of the eyeballs has popped out. You know, it's just an ugly-looking thing. But to your daughter, it's her treasure. And so if she entrusts that to you, say, Daddy, I'm going to go outside and play. Could you take care of little Susie for me. How are you going to treat that, that treasure of your daughter's? Are you going to say, eh, kind of throw it to the side? And, or are you going to place her value on that? A good loving father is going to place the same value that his daughter places on that object. And that's what we need to do. That's what the father wants us to do is we need to place the value that he has on each other. That has to be our underlying Goal, desire. That's the first thing. Second thing is, is we need to build relationships within the body of Christ. Excuse me. Building relationships within the body must become a high priority. So first I need to play the, place the right value on you, and then relationship with you has to be a high priority. Because if it's like, well, I'll get to it when I have time, then guess what's going to happen? I'm not going to have time. If we're not intentional in relationship then it's not going to happen. Number three, we need to commit to protect the dignity of each other. To protect the dignity of each other. In other words, how we choose to perceive people, how we choose to talk about people, how we choose to perceive people. And that's a very important thing. Because if, if it's just like, for example, I used Johnny as an example last week. If, if he reminds me of somebody in the past that I've had bad dealings with and I don't get that taken care of, then when I encounter Johnny, then I'm going to project all the bad feelings and everything from that person. I'm going to project it on the Johnny and all of a sudden I'm going to have, I'm going to treat him a certain way. I'm going to look at him a certain way. I'm going to judge him a certain way and I haven't even met him yet or I don't even know him yet. And so the lens and the filters that I have need to be taken care of. Otherwise, we're not going to really have good relationships with people. And number four, we need to commit to preserving relationships among each other. Commit to preserving. And I made this promise to you last week. As we endeavor and are intentional in moving together in relationship, I promise you, you will have plenty of opportunities to be offended. It's a promise. You will have plenty of opportunities to get crossways with people. See, remember, if you stay by yourself, you're not going to have relational problems. But as soon as you begin to move into relationship with someone, there's the probability of you getting offended or hurt or, or whatever. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You know, in, in, in some things can be um, intentional. I can intentionally hurt your feelings. I could be having a bad hair day and I just, I'm in a bad mood and I just say mean things to you or whatever. I can do it intentionally or... I can unintentionally do something and you get upset about it. For example, as we've been working on these family groups and putting them together, and this has been something that, that we've been praying about for a couple of years and we're just, you know, starting it. But as we begin to put these things together, there's a particular lady who, who's in this church, a good friend of mine. I've known her for many, many, many years. I forgot to put her in a family. I forgot all about her. Forgot all about it. Mm-hmm. I heard that. 
<laughs> so what, is, what opportunity does she have? She has an opportunity to get upset with me. Because she could say, how could you forget me? You don't care about me. See, I knew you didn't like me. And this is your opportunity to show me that you didn't like me. Because you didn't put me in a family. You did it on purpose. She could take that, that position. And you know, depending on how she views me is going to be how she interprets that action. If she has bad um, thoughts or bad whatever towards leadership or men or whatever, then she can inter easily interpret that situation through that lens and then she can have these judgments against me and then we got a problem. But when I realized, I can't believe I forgot her. So I called her the other day. I said, hey, sis, guess what? She goes, what? I said, I forgot about you. And we had a great talk. Didn't even phase her because she said, well, I was wondering what you guys were talking about, these family things. Because, see, she didn't get invited to a party because somebody didn't put her on the list. So she missed the whole first party thing that you guys got to experience. But as I was talking to her about it, she wasn't phased. She wasn't like, well, it's a good thing you called because I was about, you know, we we're about to throw some, you know, it's about to get bad. <laughs> it didn't even go there because of how she views me. She believed that I had the best interest in mind for her and that that was unintentional. So an innocent situation could have gone south. And so as that was going on in because we didn't do it perfectly. That whole situation didn't play out perfectly. Some of you started getting text messages, getting invited to a party. It's like, oh, I got invited to so-and-so's house. And your friend next to you is like, I didn't get invited anywhere. You know, maybe they got theirs the next day. And, and it just caused this little bit of chaos and even hurt feelings because maybe you have a friendship with this person that they got invited to their house and you didn't. And it's like, what? What's going on? So you, and now this wasn't intentional at all. We were trying to do everything so that it wouldn't be chaotic. We're trying to do it, but it just didn't, you know, it didn't work out perfectly. So your heart got challenged and tested in a, in a, a little way. You know, you could have got upset, could have got offended that you didn't get invited to that person's house, but you got invited to this person's house and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you see what I'm getting at? And so we have to be intentional, and that's what we're going to talk about today. I can turn this back on. Building a strong relational environment. An environment where people feel safe in relationship. Why is that important? Because we want you to feel safe. Because if you don't feel safe, then guess what? You're going to, you know, like a turtle. I'm not calling you guys turtles, okay? But you know, a turtle, when a turtle feels okay, they come out of their shell. If they feel threatened in any kind of way, they pop back into their shell. So if you feel safe, now we're not talking about perfect, we're talking about safe environment. We're going to talk about how to do that in a second. But if you feel safe, then you're going to be more willing to explore relationships with one another. Has anybody ever heard of the phrase, the truth shall set you free? Anybody ever heard that? Where's that where'd that come from? Where's that from? Excuse me? Say it out loud. The Bible. How many say that's from the Bible? How many believe that, that phrase, the truth shall make you free? How many of you believe that? See, some of you know me too well, and you know I'm setting you up. You know, that's a misquote, actually. or It's, it's a phrase, it's part of a phrase, just like when you hear the phrase, money is the root of all evil. Right? How many of you have heard that? You know, money is the root of all evil. How many of you have heard people say that? And see, they're misquoting a scripture that says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Well, it's the same thing with the truth shall set you free. It's not actually accurate. It's a third of the whole phrase. And we'll turn there. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, it says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. If you continue in my word. What does it mean to continue in his word? Tell me, what does it mean? 
Keep doing it. It means to do it. It means to practice, to walk in his word. He says, if you, and he said to the, to the Jews that believed in him, he said, if you continue in what I say, paraphrasing, then are you truly my disciples? Are you truly a follower of me? So, if I do what Jesus says, then I'm his follower. If I don't do what Jesus says, then not a, I'm not his follower. Does that make sense? Did I twist anything? Does that make sense? There are too many people calling themselves followers of Jesus and they're not doing what he says. And they're deceived. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples and you shall know the truth. And guess what? It's going to happen. You will experience freedom. We're doing what he says. Then I will know the truth experientially. And I will know it here, and I will know it experientially because I'm doing it, and then I'm going to experience freedom. Too many of us think that if I know a truth, I will experience freedom. That's not true. Because it says in James chapter 1, verse 21 through 25, it says, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks into, intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. One of the greatest deceptions that we fall into is thinking that just because I hear something, see, right now you have the opportunity to hear what I'm saying today. And you can make a mistake of hearing what I'm saying, saying, yep, what he said, that, that's good. And walk away thinking that you're going to experience freedom in this area. And you'll be walking in deception. Because it's only when you put into practice the word that God is speaking, that he's speaking right here, that you're hearing, when I begin to put into practice, that's when I'm blessing what I do. That's when I walk in freedom. So my question for you is, is what is your posture towards the word of God? What is your posture? And what I mean by that is, when you hear, for example, I'm up here speaking, Hopefully, I'm speaking God's word accurately, not twisting it or manipulating or anything like that. And you need to judge that because if I am, you need to uh, not just swallow anything I say. Does that make sense? But if I'm here and I'm sharing God's word and you're hearing it, what is your posture? Are you saying, well, nah, I don't like that. Put that to the side. Now, I'm not talking about my own interpretation or my own opinion. I'm talking about God's word. Do you listen and say, Matt, don't like that. Matt, don't agree with that. Matt, not interested. Or do you have the posture, God, what are you saying to me? Because I love you, I'm a follower of yours, I want to hear what you have to say. And then as his word is delivered, you open your heart to receive it. And even when it's hard, when it's challenging, when it goes in there and begins to start rattling some things and knocking against some offenses and everything, is your posture, oh my goodness, this is hard. Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm really struggling. And then you begin to allow him to deal with you according to that word. And you wrestle with it. Instead of, nope, not interested. So how are you posturing yourself? And I'm trusting that your posture, because of the declarations of prayer we made at the beginning, your posture is Jesus I want it. I want it. I want your word because I want to walk in freedom. I'm tired of being where I am. It's not doing me any good. I want to walk in freedom, and I want to walk and be a fruitful ambassador for your kingdom. I want you to get all the fruit that you paid for through my life. So it's important to continue in his word and be doers of it. All right, so we're going to start talking what do, what do we need to do? 
A new commandment I give you, John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, here's a new commandment. You guys need to love each other just like I love you. We saw how Jesus loved people. He's saying that's how you're to love people. And then he says, somewhere on here, and this is how, by this will all, by this all will know that you are my followers, my disciples, if you love one another. So we're going to, people are going to be able to, should be able to look at us and how we treat each other, how we walk in relationship, and they should say, yeah, yeah, they must be a Jesus follower. And he said the mark, the earmark of that or the evidence is how we love each other. Relationship. How we love each other. So Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, now Paul wrote this when he was in prison. He says, As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Live a life worthy of the calling. Now, in Ephesians, which is an amazing book, and I encourage you to read it, one through, chapters 1 through 3, talk about your position in Christ, who you are, how he sees you, how you were dead and on your way to hell, and how all of a sudden you're born again, and you're seated with him, and you're powerful and amazing, and you're seated in heavenly places with the Father. And you're in Christ, Christ is in you, and you're just this amazing new creature. That's who you are. That is who you are. And so he's saying, in light of who you are, here's how I encourage you to walk. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And he says, here's how. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love. And then check this out. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Or translating, try it a little bit and see if it works. Is that what that means? Try it a little bit and see if it works? Make every effort to keep the bond of unity and peace. Make every effort, make every effort. And he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort. So he's talking about the atmosphere, the environment, the attitude that I need to have as I walk with and approach people. So I want to talk about two practical ways to walk in love and make every effort to keep the unity of the Holy Spirit in this family. Those two ways are deal with how we talk about each other and working through any conflict that comes up. Now there's more to this than just those two things, but I'm just going to talk about those two, these two things today. And I believe if we only improve in these two areas right here, if we commit, Father, I'm going to obey your word and commit to these two things right here, we probably experience revival in this house. The way we talk about each other, and when we commit to resolving any conflict between each other. Because unfortunately, I've been around the church, not just the church, but I've been around Christians for a long time. Unfortunately, this is not the norm. On. This is not the norm. You know, when, when uh, I showed this before, one time I, I, I kind of did an experiment, and I went to Brahms to have lunch there, because I like Brahms, but I intentionally, I sat down, had my burger and my shake, and it was crowded. I mean, all the seats were filled up, and my intent was to listen in to eavesdrop. I was listening on purpose to conversations around me. It's not illegal. <laughs> you guys are looking at me like I broke the law. Ooh, I'm telling. But I was intentionally listening. And every single conversation, not half, not most, every conversation that I could hear, the people were either griping about something. They were griping about work. They were griping about their spouse. They were griping about something or someone or they were talking negatively about people. They were gossiping, slander, 
That's the only thing I heard. And my intent was to see what would I hear on a, just on a regular day in a, just a, um, a location. And I was hoping that, well, maybe over here I'm hearing some encouraging stuff. And then maybe over here you might hear this. Or, but every conversation that I tuned into was all negative gossip, gripe, or whatever. I thought, man, that's pretty, pretty sad. And you would know your circumstances, your, um, your workplace, your, the places, the environments that you dwell in. What is the talk mostly? I'm not asking you to tell me. I'm asking you to think about it. Are we gossiping about people? Talking negatively about people? Talking about them in a way that if they were standing there, we wouldn't be talking about them? You know what I'm saying? Oop, she just showed up. And unfortunately, that's not just out in the workplace. That's not just outside the church, but it's in the church as well, the way we talk about each other. And, you know, the important thing about this, remember we talked about we need to place value on each other, the value that God places on his kids. You know, Jesus is so in love with you and so infatuated with you and so crazy about you that when someone does something against you, he takes it personally. He says, when you've done that to them, you've done that to me. Husbands, you know how if someone were to, if a, like a man or a person, let's say a man, you and your wife are somewhere, and some man started talking negative to your wife? <laughs> I felt the tos- this testosterone levels just rise. You're going to even, now this is your wife. It's like, well, he may not be talking to you, but guess what? He might as well be, right? Because it's about to go down. That's how Jesus feels when you talk about his bride. When you're gossiping about one of his kids, talking negatively about one of his kids, even though you think they deserve it or you think, well, this is how they are, you think you're justified in your slander or your your negative information about that person. You're not. And remember the golden rule that when Jesus said, treat others as you would have them treat you, how you would like them to treat you. Don't you desire that when you're not around, your desire is that people would talk, if they're talking about you, that it would be talking about you in a respectful, encouraging way. I mean, wouldn't you want that? Are you practicing that? And you think about this. See, unfortunately, now I'm not saying I sit and listen to your conversations and I hear you talking bad about people. I'm not saying that. I've heard some talk. And it's not for me to be the the gossip police and come stand next to you to see what you're saying. So you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have that passionate love for him. And so if this is something that you and I are participating in, then there should be all kinds of major conviction going on. It's like, oh, Jesus, man, I can't believe I do this. Yes, guilty as charged. This has got to stop. This has got to stop. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 says, Do not let any unwholesome word, excuse me, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God has forgiven you. You know, right there in the middle it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And we we will snatch that part out and put it in a whole different context and think about, well, we, we can't grieve the Spirit by how we conduct church business. But you have to look at the context of where he's saying we can grieve the Holy Spirit. It's right there in the middle of relationship. Because he says, do not let bad words come out of your mouth. 
the way you talk to each other, the way you talk about each other. And he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. So do you know how we grieve the Holy Spirit? By the way, we talk if we're talking negatively to someone about somebody else. Grieving the very one who is so in love with you. I mean, grieving. I wish I would have looked up the word grieving, but I bet it means something like grieving. You know, sad, that kind of thing. So let's invite the Holy Spirit to deal with us concerning that one thing. That one thing right there. You know how when, you know, we're praying for revival, I'm believing that revival is happening and is going to happen to a wonderful extent. Transformation is going to happen in this community. When God moves in the midst of his people, the enemy can't just stop that. He can't say, all right, God's moving. I'm going to put that to a stop right now. He can't do that. He's not that powerful. The only authority that the enemy has against you and I is the authority that we give him. And that authority is through our words. You know, one of his names is called the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren is one of his titles. He's also called the father of lies. And you know when Satan is accusing you before the father, he's not necessarily telling the father something that's not true. I don't know if you caught that. If you're being mean to your wife, for example, or mean to your husband, or you're doing something wrong, and the enemy is, is whispering to the father, saying, look, what he, look how he's treating his wife. Look at that. He deserves judgment. Look at how he's yelling at his kids. Look at, is he lying? Not necessarily. But he's called the accuser of the brethren. So the words that you say, the gossip and everything, you might be thinking, well, it's true. That's not the issue. It's not about the information, whether it's true or not. It's about, one, the intent of your heart. And the Bible says, let the speech that comes out of your mouth be that which edifies and builds up. If I'm telling Michelle something bad about Michaela, how am I edifying Michelle? Especially if me and Michaela get crossways or something. And I begin to go to Michelle and tell Michelle about this lady when I'm handicapping Michelle, and let's say Michelle doesn't even know Michaela, okay? Let's say she didn't even know her. And I begin to tell Michelle how attitude-ish she got with me. Then what I'm doing is I'm creating in Michelle the opportunity to have a bad and judgmental attitude towards someone she hasn't even met yet. And see, and the sad thing is, is Michelle doesn't have the ability to She's going to, because if me and Michelle went friends, she's going to believe what I'm saying, and she's going to take on, because she's, I mean, CJ wouldn't lie to me. But I'm not, and it's not, not that I'm lying to Michelle, but I'm not giving her the, all the facts. Because when I tell somebody something that happens to me, I'm not giving them the whole story. I'm giving them my side of the story. And the Bible is clear in Proverbs that before you pass judgment, before you, you come to a conclusion, you need to hear both sides, right? So there's no way that if I'm telling Michelle something about Michaela, there's no way that that situation's good. Now, if I'm going to Michelle because I know that I'm frustrated with what happened between me and Michaela, and I'm seeking counsel and help to restore the relationship, then I'm going to Michelle for some advice and counsel. Say, I'm, I need help, I'm frustrated. I don't know what to do with this. That should be the only reason why I'm telling Michelle. If that's not in my intent, and if we try to pull this, hey, Caleb, I need to talk to you. Someone needs you to pray with me about. You know what McCauley did to me the other day? Woo, let me tell you. And you know what else? Oh, man. And you know, we're probably not going to even get around to praying. Anybody ever know somebody who's been in that kind of situation? You know, sometimes we'll try to use spiritual terminology 
to justify our dysfunction or our sin. Imagine. And so getting back to the point, so the enemy cannot have the, he will not have the ability to come and stop what God is doing. But what he'll do, the Bible says a house divided against itself will not stand. So what he can do is get me and Jojo crossways at each other. And then I start talking about Jojo to Caleb, and then maybe Amy and, and Lisa Drum get crossways, crossways with each other. So at, in one moment when we're worshiping God and, and having a great time and, and our hearts are open and we're obedient to the Father, then all of a sudden we begin to get crossways with each other. And all these fractions begin to happen and, and these splinters. Then guess what's going to happen? It's going to stop. It's going to stop. There's a verse in, in Psalms, I think it's 103. It says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And at the end, the last verse, it says, for there God commands his blessing. You remember in the beginning where it says God said, let there be and there be. Remember that? Let there be light. Let there be. When God commands something, it's going to happen, right? Well, one place where God commands his blessing is where brothers dwell together in unity. So when we dwell together in unity, in practical ways that we're talking about, God commands his blessing right there. How do we stop his blessing? By not dwelling together in unity. And we have to endeavor, make every effort, make every effort to preserve, protect, keep the unity in the body of Christ. Amen? Okay, so the first thing is how we talked about each other. And the second thing is working through any conflict that comes up. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you. So in the first one, the first passage says, If you remember that your brother has something against you. And then this one says, If your brother has sinned against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or more or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and tax collector. So out of these two passages, you can see the priority there is getting relationships restored. In the first place, God puts a premium in his priority. He says if you're coming to God and you have a gift that you want to give him, whether it's your worship, whether, whatever it is, you're committing something to God. He says, and you remember that your brother has something against you. In other words, there's a breakdown in your relationship. He says, don't come and give me your gift. First, be reconciled in that relationship. And then come and give me your gift. That's what Jesus says. And then in the other passage, it says that if your brother has sinned against you, someone's offended you, you go to that person alone, try to get it worked out. If they won't hear you, then you take someone with you. And if they don't hear that, then you take it before the church. I believe that means you take it, you deal, you involve the leadership of the church. I don't think we need to take them in front of the church and everybody on Sunday morning gets to see how bad and wicked this person is. Some churches deal with it that way. But the intent is restoration of relationship. That's the intent. And he, puts, he places a premium on that. Now let me ask you this question. When you get crossways with somebody in this body, in this fellowship, how do you respond? Do you go to them and say, you know, uh, I feel like there's something we need to talk about. We need to get worked out. Do you go to them and try to, and even if you don't know how to do it, do you at least attempt to try to get it worked out? Or do you go to your girlfriends or to your male friends, and tell them about that person and what happened. 
Which one do you do? Which one do I do? See, this is where it gets really real, if you know what I mean. Really real. You see, I can stand up here on the front, and when the amazing worship music is playing, I can raise my hands all day and really get down with Jesus and have a good time. And the Father loves that. He's excited about that. But what he, I think he's just as excited, if not more, more excited, is how I'm talking about you all. Or if there's a relational breakdown and I'm doing the best I can to get it worked out. That brings joy to the Father. Parents, when your kids get at odds with each other, how do you feel when they get it all worked out? I mean when they really get it worked out. Not they try to get it worked out at the threat because of the threat of punishment, but when they genuinely get it resolved, and you can see the peace in their hearts and the way they respond to each other, how does that make you feel as a parent? Feels good, doesn't it? It's like, man, that is really awesome. When your kids are not getting along together, it's not a happy time. So imagine the father, how he wants us to get along. Now, I know I haven't talked about the specifics how-to We may or may not someday, but the important thing is, is that we need to. And you guys are intelligent enough to figure out the how-to, and you already know how-to. So the issue is recognizing how am I dealing with this situation? How am I talking about people? And how do I handle conflict? So here's some action steps, four or five action steps. First of all, I need to repent of my apathy towards the Word of God. I need to repent of my apathy and disobedience to the Word of God. Because we read all kinds of scriptures of how the Lord's saying we should treat relationship. I need to repent of my apathy. You know, again, what is your posture? Is it like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. But you have no intent of allowing His Word to change your behavior? Number two, reposition our posture to a place of humble obedience to his voice and his word. You know, a lot of times people will say, I can't hear God. I wish I could hear God more because I want to give words of knowledge or I want to be able to tell people what God's saying. His concern, his priority is, are you listening to what he's already told you? If God says, I want you to love this person, meh. But God, I want to hear you. I want a prophetic word. I want a word of knowledge. I want you to forgive that person. Yeah, maybe someday. But God, I want. See, a lot of times we want the spectacular. Where the spectacular really is loving each other. Forgiving one another. Number three, invite Holy Spirit to soften our conscience again so that we can be sensitive to his conviction concerning how we talk about people. When we gossip, slander, or talk bad about anyone, it should bother my conscience. It should grieve our spirit because it grieves the Holy Spirit. Number four, commit to only honoring speech about people. Number five, commit to working through challenges or conflict with a fellow believer instead of avoiding or ignoring it. If you find that you're at odds with somebody and you really don't know how to, maybe you don't know how to work it out, or you're concerned that if I approach that person, it's going to turn into a big blow-up? Because that's a reality. I mean, that can happen. Then get with somebody and say, I need help with this area. Can you help me with this? Because I, I want to honor the Father. I want to restore relationship with my brother and my sister, but I need help. Please seek help. Because that's not a sign of weakness. Actually, that's a sign of strength. Weakness is running away. And you'd be amazed at how many people who God called them to this church a few months later get called to another church. And they get called to another church. Yeah, God's calling me somewhere else. And typically it's because they fell into a situation, a relational breakdown, and they don't want to deal with it. 
So what's the easy thing to do is to leave. Because if you're coming here on a Sunday morning and you're trying to worship, but you look across the, the, the place and you see that person that you don't want to deal with, it's only a matter of time before you quit coming. It's only a matter of time when you start making excuses. Oh, I don't, man, I don't feel good today. I think I'll stay home. Next week, oh, I think I need to take care of these things. I don't have time to go to church. You begin to make excuses, and next thing you know, you, it all falls, falls apart. Does that make sense? Let's stand together. Now, those of you who know me, I think you probably know the intent in my heart in sharing that message. Those of you who don't know me that well, maybe you're struggling with my intent. Who does he think he is talking to me that way? And if you're challenged with my intent, it's okay. But please don't misunderstand his intent. His purpose, his desire for you and me is freedom. His freedom is who I am. He paid for me to be free. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Maybe I've been gossiping for 20 years, and it's a habit. I don't even know I'm doing it, and I'm bound in this. Continuing in his word, allowing his word to deal with me in that particular area is going to set me free. As long as I embrace the word and begin to walk in it. Amen. Father, we thank you. You're so amazing. You're so good. And I thank you for the grace that is saturating this room right now for us to embrace that gives us the power to act on your word, to begin to walk in it, the power to forgive that person or those people. Thank you, Father, that your people, we are hungry for you, we desire to honor you, and we are choosing to follow you, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. I speak your blessing on every person here. I speak freedom on every person here. Freedom. Freedom in Jesus' name. And Lord, we give you honor and praise, and we thank you for your goodness. Amen. Amen.